All right, welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, I have Alex Friedman, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado. Today, we're going to be talking about trying to plan a practice based around skill development. So something that me and Alex have both noticed. Uh, so we've been lifelong wrestlers. If you haven't listened to the podcast, we both wrestled since we were very young, all the way through college. We were college teammates. Um, and then also we've been into the, we, I help coach fighters and he is doing jujitsu. And we see this, this trend where people just kind of do their own little warm up or quote unquote flow roll, which is never a flow roll unless you actually know what you're doing. And then we do maybe one technique. And then for the last 45 minutes, everybody just goes live. So nobody really learns, right? It's just more fun than anything, but there's not, there's no skill development going, which we know for our actual fighters and for our, our like actual, like you're making money or pro fighters or amateur fighters or people that want to get better. We should probably have an organized way of going about planning a practice that's going to lead to skill development, which is something that me and Alex have both studied extensively through our different various programs that we've done. So Alex, what's, what's, let's start it off. What's some stuff that we can focus on for programming and and planning? Yeah. And so when we think about, um, for me, I kind of take it from, again, a strength and conditioning lens. That's kind of how I view everything with sports performance, good or bad. And I have Austin to balance me out for that. (laughs) Um, But like, you know, if we're organizing a a strength and conditioning session, we're going to start with our, you know, our preparatory stuff. If you get there early, we're going to warm up. We're going to hit maybe our power movements or our sprints or some type of movement drills is kind of how we think about it. We're going to start with our, you know, highest priority, our power development, our highest intensity. Then we're going to kind of taper off and hit our strength block, our accessory block and whatever else is one way that strength and conditioning workouts are typically organized. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, jujitsu practice, wrestling practice, everything should mirror that exactly, but there needs to be a plan in place, period. It can't just be, all right, we're at class now. Here's your technique. Let's go live. You know, like, <laughs> like when the, there should be a, a guiding system or a guiding practice plan that, you know, primes the athletes physically as well as um, technically on how to progress in some of these skill works and, and, and in how to ramp up physiologically into a, a live go and a, a hundred percent effort, right? Because we've all been, if you've been a part of wrestling practice or jujitsu practice, we've all been, here's this mat technique. That's going to be super slow and intricate. And we're going to kind of just lay on the mat and figure it out and fight hands and blah, blah, blah. And you're almost falling asleep during the drill. And then all of a sudden let's snap into our training and our live roles, right? Yep. You're not primed for that. You're not um, ready to go in that and to really get the most out of it, which, you know, can lead to injuries. I don't know if that's the the biggest part of it. Austin, I'm sure we'll touch on that, but it also is not going to lead to the most optimal, you know, training that you, you get, right. You're not going to be able as sharp. You're not going to be able to jump right in. Um, Especially guys that are novice or are just starting or white belts or whatever, you know, that's a big white belt type of thing. They just jump into a hundred percent and that's like, Oh my God, I'm in a fight. I got to tense up in, in this type of thing. It's like, there's not a lot of like ramp up into the actual role. So just creating a foundational level of skill development, physical preparation, and then into our training and our um, more intensive drills at the end, it, it, I think is just 
worthwhile in itself just to even explore the option not that you know you're black belt and you've been running jujitsu classes for the last 10 years not that you have to like instantaneously change your style but you know it's it's worth exploring why wouldn't you want to get better if if you see this type of physical um ramp or physical progression seeing a benefit in your class right and and for me it comes down to like you got to be a cook before you can be a chef right we've talked about this this analogy before when Mm -hmm. when we're doing any sort of motor development or any sort of skill development, we need to have a step-by-step process. So often I see that, hey, we show a full technique without breaking down the different parts of this technique to people that, have, that aren't wrestlers on the back end or are, are white belts, whatever it may be. We show an entire technique without breaking down, hey, this is step one, step two, step three, step four. And then we see these different people that, hey, they get they get fucked up at step two and then they can't even get to step four. But if we were to do a stepwise fashion, when we're teaching a specific technique, that's going to allow for better transference. And then once we get to that certain point where we know that these people have these different parts down, then we let them kind of freestyle. We let them put them all together. But like in wrestling, like there's, there's reasons why we train setups away from shots and then shots away from finishes and all these different things. There's a time and a place to break things up. But then when it, you, it comes time to come full circle, that's when we bring it all together. You let the people come full circle, put all this, put the setup, the shot and the finish together. And then we go live after that. But if we're trying to do the entire sequence in one go and we're not working with, I would say, higher competency athletes, then it's going to be a hard sell for a white belt if you're trying to teach them, I don't know, flying arm bar. Like, honestly, not even that. Let's, let's just say like a, an arm triangle, the different steps to get to an arm triangle. It's going to be a hard, it's going to be a kind of a terrible process going from, hey, starting in guard all the way to side control, getting that arm triangle. Instead of teaching step-by-step, hey, this is the guard pass. All right. Then from the guard pass, we need to go after the hand. Then we need to try to focus on bundling the arm. Then we're going to go for the Mm -hmm. choke, all these different steps, right? So my biggest takeaway from this is too often we try to teach the whole without teaching the parts first. And that's that's one of those things where unless you're working with super athletes, that's not going to fly. Yeah, 100%. I want to even take that further talking about like, you know, pedagogy in itself or like motor development, like it's even if you're teaching the individual parts or you're teaching, you know, the whole process, that's just one avenue that you're kind of giving an athletes. And, and it, for me, it goes back to the old adage, like, are you going to teach your, your white belt to fish? Or are you just going to give them a fish? Right. Yeah. And so if I teach them this one guard pass to this one arm triangle to, to this, or to this one setup to this one arm triangle, right. I've given them a fish, right. This is, this is how we can get to this specific sub in training. It's never going to be that straightforward. And like, there are some guys that you can just zone in on one thing and go and get it. Right. But that's not mm-hmm. the ultimate forward. That's not the ultimate, um, way that anybody gets good at grappling or wrestling. And like, and again, when I've started my jujitsu practice, I've, I've been fortunate enough that I have my wrestling background and I know that I kind of have to flow. I kind of have to follow what they're given and taking and, and take the path to release resistance. Giving that type of processing to a white belt or to somebody is essentially how you make people good at jujitsu, right? So mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of <clears throat> giving them the parts, but also giving them the options and the autonomy to decide which part to use, right? So if, if we're going to organize our practice um, around getting to an arm triangle, maybe getting to that arm triangle is like our, our two-week goal or our month goal, right? We're working on arm triangles and different ways to set them up, different ways to get them. So this first week, especially if 
guys don't know how to pass. We're going to work on just different passes, three or four different options of depending on what the, the opponent's giving you to pass to potentially get the arm triangle. And then, you know, down the line at week three, we're looking at different setups, figuring out what the athlete's going to or what your opponent's going to give you back that could possibly lead to an arm triangle. And then maybe the last week we're working on finishing that arm triangle. It doesn't have to be broken up that, you know, cut and dry. But it's, it's a whole system that leads to an arm triangle and leads to your athlete being able to interplay different stimulus and responses, right? And then that was a, a big kind of centering piece that with a more advanced athlete, they can manage more stimuluses and give more responses, right? They can understand and, and kind of decode that in their performance versus with a, a white belt or a first timer. Like they're going to have, you're going to give them one stimulus, right? Your opponent's going to do this here's your response, right? And then we can build off that, give different stimulus responses, and that gets more and more complex and and advanced, but that's ultimately the learning process. So long story short, don't teach, uh, don't give your white belts or anybody a fish and say, here's the sub, you know, teach them to fish, to go and bait something or to do this different um, pass when it's given to them or or go with with the flow of things, Um, which again is, is a whole process to get there. Well, dude, and I'd even argue that like, even with the elite athletes, it's really hard to do that. Like I would, I would consider myself personally, I was a fairly good wrestler, but I didn't learn a lot of the parts I'm very big on. I just learned the whole all the time. And, and a little bit about myself for the listeners, like I was a pretty good wrestler, but if like, once you grabbed my leg, oh, you were fucked. (laughs) Or if I got on top of you, oh fuck, it's a tough day. (laughs) But yeah, if you look at my college career, a lot of my matches were like 3-1, 3-2, because I had zero offense. I was that kid that I never got taught the parts of a shot. I just got taught, hey, take a double leg or all of these different things. And that led to all the way through my entire career, even when I'm in college, me having holes in my game because I didn't learn the different individual parts. I didn't learn hey, the, the level change, what's the most efficient level change for my body? This is what I need to do to hit a single leg versus a double leg. I just learned, hey, this is a single leg, this is a double leg. Take those shots and you should score, right? Yeah. And that leads to huge discrepancies and huge holes in a framework because the whole reason behind using parts is to make a framework of individual pieces that this athlete can come together and we're going to make a self-sustaining athlete that they can use these pieces we teach, not necessarily for that just one shot, but this is a code that they can do for all of these different shots, right? Yeah. Putting putting that piece can be applied to all, like the same level change for a double leg should also be applied to a duck. But if you don't teach them the level change, you just teach them to take a double leg, then they can't apply that to a duck. Absolutely. It's, it's a huge limitation, right? When we look at that, like you have this, this one set program that you're taking to the finish of a double leg. And what happens when that gets screwed up along the way? You end mm-hmm. up with your head and your mat sitting under somebody, right? And that's... Yep. Nobody wants to be there. That's an awful position. So, um, but like you're saying, teaching the individual parts and getting the basics down, you made the reference earlier, you know, learning to be a cook before you can be a chef. Right. But in cooking, we're not, you know, we're not giving this, uh, this potential chef, we're not just giving them one recipe to make chicken noodle soup. Right. We're giving them a base where here's what this flavor can do. And it can enhance that and bring this out and, and, playing with that, those flavors, that's what ultimately is going to make you a chef. Just like playing with different setups, playing with different audibles once you do get in on the legs. Um, and like, it's an interesting process 
when you get into it, because you see all these high level athletes and they're the ones that break all the rules, right? We, we <laughs> see them performing and doing this thing. And it's like, well, you know, Izzy doesn't set it up that way. So I don't have to, I can just go straight to this head kick. Right. Yeah, 100%. Um, but I think what, what we're lacking foundationally is the background knowledge that Izzy spent so long nailing the fundamentals down that he is a master now and he can practice more like a craftsman, more like an artist where he can break the rules because he knows what the opponent's thinking is typical. He knows how to throw the typical kick or, or whatever. He's gotten past that stage. You need to understand, um, nail down the fundamentals and then you start breaking the rules because you understand the game better in that sense. But we need to give everybody a foundation of the game or the techniques or, or the yeah. parts that add to the whole. You can't, you can't build a pyramid from the top up. There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so very eloquent. Um, yeah. But so let's get back to planning. Actually, like, let's give some, hey, some um, usable information. Before we move on to that, I got I got one little story. It's, it's an embarrassing story about myself. <laughs> no, you'll like this story because it shows how stupid I am, right? Perfect. I'm here so, for it then. So one of my first um, attempts at, at teaching wrestling to a jiu-jitsu player, um, it, was, it went horribly, by the way, but <laughs> we were talking and, 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 you know, he noticed the hand fighting and the wrestling. He's like, hey, you wrestle, blah, blah, blah. He's like, I would love to learn how to wrestle, but all I've ever done is jiu-jitsu. And while, while I was giving that Israel Asanya the explanation that's what popped in my head like that's what i tried to do i tried to teach this this guy from the top down i went instead of teaching him a wrestling stance teaching him you know a, a level change teaching him um entries and then things like that i went straight to well you know you got to be really good at hand fighting and and then mixing in different setups and this is like and this kid this guy i shouldn't say kid he, he was by far and away my jujitsu elder um he didn't know how to shoot a single leg, you know, he didn't know how to shoot a double leg. And I, I was sitting yeah. here trying to explain the complexity of hand fighting and level changes and, you know, timing your shots. And that was an error on my part. Cause I could talk until I blew in the face about finding your way to different setups, finding your way to, to different baits and traps um, in your setup game to get to a single, but like, he didn't know how to shoot a single man. Like yeah. I needed to start from a way different place than where I had started. So that was good to learn that firsthand and, and see that where his eyes went blank, whereas like this ultimately isn't productive for me to try and teach him like the, the, the most advanced thing that you learn in college is probably setups, base traps, and I would say chain wrestling. But like, why am I trying to teach him that? Right? He's mm -hmm. he's not got the wrestling background that that I do or that you know a wrestler would have. So and that was really interesting when I got to see you know an actual wrestling coach come in and try and teach him how to wrestle. And then we're starting like, all right, so you know how to shoot a single? <laughs> no. Okay, let's shoot a single. You know. Yeah. And so it, it was eye opening for myself, and and I applied that lesson differently throughout my training and conditioning, but also, you know, teaching wrestling. So, um, that just kind of exemplifies what I'm talking about. Like you said, starting from the foundation and the parts to build up to the top of the pyramid. Yeah. Well, and kind of what you brought up there, I like that a lot of people think that other people know exactly what they're talking about. Like me, like when me and you talk, we, we, Alex came out here two weeks ago now sure. and we hung out, uh, building a fighter. We have, we have posts. Yeah. We had a building a fighter summit, but <laughs> for my birthday. But, um, so like when me and Alex talk, sometimes both, there were times in the weekend that I could see on his face or I could see it like when he was talking on my face, like, cause we come from different worlds while we both kind of do the same thing. He has a different dialect. Like there's a strength conditioning dialect that he kind of speaks sometimes. And I have a healthcare dialect that I speak sometimes. 
And sometimes, it, sometimes our wires get crossed and we just expect the other person to know what we're talking about. We expect the other person, we expect the other person to be able to hit a single leg already. We expect like, oh, you do jujitsu. You should be able to do a level change. And then it breaks down and they don't even know what the fuck a level change is. They're just rounding their low back and trying to grab an ankle. They've never not pulled guard, right? Yeah. Exactly. So like, it's, it's something, I don't remember, I don't know who the quote is, so I don't know how, who to attribute it to. So what, by, what that means is it's now Austin Shane's quote, um, <laughs> is that, <laughs> but it's anybody can make a complex problem complex, but it takes a real master to make a complex problem simple. Mm-hmm. So that's something I don't remember. Like I said, I wish I knew who said that quote, but I use that quote daily when I'm trying to explain, because I'm an over explainer. I've talked about that on the podcast before. When I write out a program, I want every athlete to know what's going on with their body and I over explain it. But every time I try to talk about that, I think about that quote. And that's something that sticks with me when I'm explaining everything. And I'm like, I need to make this as simple as possible because if I really truly am a master at my craft, like I, like I truly believe I am, then I need to be able to explain this in 15 words or less. Or every single person, a fucking 12-year-old should be able to understand what I'm trying to get them to do. That's how people know that I'm a master at what I do. Absolutely. They get the same understanding that you, you've had to struggle for, but you can give them that in 15 words. And like my favorite thing when that happens is, uh, again, me and Austin have a good relationship. So I just look at him as like, what you said means nothing to me. <laughs> that's what I say to him. And so th- that's, I, I can see that when he gets that, that look in his eyes. Okay. All right. We need to restart because like, again- I know a lot, but I don't know the the healthcare practitioner vocab and, and stuff like that. So um, getting that to your athletes and then just matching them on a communication level field, that's why, you know, every good strength and conditioning, every good healthcare place is going to have an assessment and have a kind of an intake. Like one of our biggest or one of the biggest questions that I made Austin put in our kind of intake form is like, have you done strength and conditioning before? What's your background with, with training? Right. Because I need to know where you're coming from. And, and the same can be said um, from the jujitsu and the wrestling skill development side of things. Um, just know that a, a white belt doesn't mean exclusively what a white belt means. You know, I, I've had, a, <laughs> I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of ego struggles being a white belt, but, um, but understand where, where people are coming from and what they, what skill set they do have leads to individualization, which leads to, you know, more f- effective teaching and different rabbit hole for a different podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Just breaking things, breaking things down to the basic levels, what people need. And that yeah. kind of gets us into like warmups. Let's, let's start breaking down the practice okay. warmups. What we've done a whole podcast on warmups, but let's do a quick one. What would you want to include in a warmup? What's good for a ramping phase and like a prep for, let's say a grappling practice. Um, grappling practice. I, I definitely want to, you know, mobilize and I guess for lack of a better term, activate. I don't want to think like, you know, turning your muscles on, right? That's not the, the activation that we're looking for, but stimulating and getting uh, your athletes to an attractor state, which means that they've been using that muscle. So they're more likely to use the correct pattern when we get into that. So mobilization, um, some t- sort of stimulation, stimulation, yeah, stimulation. stimulation. That's the word. Um, as well as when we, then when we get in after that, I like to look at like the physiological side of, of a warm up. you know, getting blood actually flowing, <clears throat> literally warming up the tissue, warming up the muscles, getting them more physically ready to, you know, perform. Um, and then all along this way, we're working from a general to a specific type of, um, spectrum, right? Mobilizations and stimulation can be pretty general. The blood flow, the, the warming up can be 
pretty general still and, and change into a more specific. So a lot of times in different practice rooms, you get in your, you know, warm up lines, right? You can, you just jog on that. You can bear crawl, you can do whatever. A lot of people do shrimping, like that can be towards the later side of things like shrimping and then um, crab walks and hip heists. Like again, those movements, as long as we mobilize and kind of are prepared for them and not jumping straight into the high intensity that I think some rooms do like we can ease into those and that gets more specific. And then lastly, I would get the most specific into some type of skill, some type of flow work, some type of not specific technique, but you know, more technique like pummeling is a good example, or, you know, just guard passing back and forth, um, that type of specific work that can, you know, more activate, you know, the thought process, um, as well as be still a physical or physiological stimulant well yeah and we can like at the end of that's where that's where we can gamify things too that's yeah. where we could have that's, that's where we can have people like one of my favorite things that uh angel angel coach angel Cejudo does is he has people like just somebody's in a bear crawl position the other person has to go all the way around them mm-hmm. but don't touch the ground and that's just a gamification of a sport specific it's think about for the person that's holding there it's anti-rotation it's trunk strength it's isometric loading it's all these different things it's perturbation and then for the top man and that's moving around or whatever, whatever the general task is, it could be standing, it could be on the ground, whatever it may be. They have to, it's a bunch of trunk strength. It's a bunch of dexterity. It's pliability and mobility, being able to get underneath somebody with a, in a short gap. Yeah. So it's one of those things that it's fun for everybody. It only has to take two to three minutes. It's just one time around for each partner, but it's a fun way to accomplish that goal without going into skill work yet. Well, and better yet, if that gamification happens, happens, I should say happens, but it should be in the plan to, uh, to line specifically up with your drill of the day or with your technique exactly. of the day, with your theme, right? So if you're doing that top bottom drill where your guys trying to bear crawl, other guys got kind of the chest on the back. Am I understanding that right? Yeah. Yeah. Just and like, like, you a, know that like a go behind, yeah, like a go behind yeah. drill. Yeah. yeah. So they're trying to do the go behind drill. And then maybe your technique of the day is front headlocks, right? Yep. Yeah. perfect type of carryover whereas it's like you said bridges that gap between specific and general and physical as well as you know one stimulus one type of goal type in there going on from that after we, we have that like warm-up established that's when we can get into some of our more technical aspects Wait, right be- that's before you can... before you go on before you go on how long should that mm-hmm. take because not any longer than 10 minutes yeah dude, okay good yeah. yeah yeah so so many people like that's the every time i talk to somebody that oh we need to warm up for like you should warm up for jujitsu they're like i'm not wasting 20 minutes of my practice that these people are paying for an hour and 15 minutes or whatever it may be 20 minutes isn't going to be the warm up. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, that's a straw man argument from the get go, because how, how many times does the instructor let the, the clock go over a little bit when you're quote unquote drilling a technique. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then it, that it's the argument of like, we're trying to optimize our time, but in reality you're going to what's familiar. So I think, uh, I think, like you said, we can be super efficient in that warm up, and it only has to take. And then a lot of times those gamification drills and that physical preparation, for me, again, leaning strength and conditioning um, is going to give your guys physical skills that are, are valuable in their performance anyway. So mm-hmm. super, uh, super important to teach those skills one, because it's a new skill, a new way to move your body, but also gets you physically ready to go. And um, I think that's one of the bigger parts of, uh, of optimizing your practice time is to be actually in a, in a ready state physical position. Yeah. So moving on to, all right, we're getting into the skill work. 
what would you bring in the strength conditioning, this motor development side of everything? What would you say is the best strategy of, hey, this is what a program or a plan should look like leading up to, let's say, live wrestling would be the end or live, like live roles? Right. So we, what I would do first off is I, I would take it down a notch after the warm up, and we can focus a little more on technicalities. Um, for me, again, I would introduce the like theme of the day or the move that we're trying to get to. And then we're going to work maybe on the first part of it, whether we want to break up the move into like a part sequence or we want to practice the whole. Um, I think it would be important to introduce that concept, you know, generally give your, your athletes, your students, a, an idea of what we're working towards. And then you teach the first step, you know, if, like you said, and, and you can individualize it. Like if an athlete's ready for the first step, you give them the literal, like first step we're doing front headlocks. Your first step is to block the tricep, right? Or you're, you're customizing too. If you have a fairly advanced crowd in front of you, all right, where first step is to, you know, keep our hips low, create an angle right? Creating an angle is a huge thing. So, um, individualizing that first step, but then we're starting on a progression towards more intensive drills. Um, I don't want to say that this first part right after the warm up needs to be like a, a tone down or like a, a lay on the mat type of technique drilling session, but it, it should be the, like an, an introductory phase to create that ramp. So, introductory phase, first part of the technique, and then we can show the full-on technique. We can get into one whole technique. Um, I would probably give different like stimulus responses. Like if we're in a front headlock and the athlete gives you this, this is how we're going to take down. If the opponent gives you this, this is the other way to get a takedown. This is another option. Um, introducing those options based on the timeline that you've had, you know, if it's the third week and, and people know options, blah, blah, blah. But I think the most important part, and I know I've been talking for a long time here. Sorry, Austin. I think the most, I you. the most important part is that kind of bridge from technical drilling to live goes, right? I think that's where we miss mm -hmm. a lot of opportunity to, again, get physically ramped up again, get uh, mentally ready to go, but also practice our techniques at different speeds, right? Um, if you're driving your car, it's not like you're, you know, at a stoplight going five miles an hour or you're hitting a hundred on the highway, you know, there's 35 miles an hour roads, there's zero to 60, there's different ways to build up the speed. So one thing I like to do is limit the game. You can give your athletes like a game. I, I look at all of this like games um, and I love playing games. So I just kind of skew them all so that I win. Um, it's true. It's true. He does. But like we can. All right. We're going to start in this specific position. Like I love positional starts. We're going to start in this position and the bottom athlete, you're going to kind of play dummy, but you're given, you know, 60, 75% resistance, play the game. You're going to give one of two stimulus. The athlete on top has to choose the correct stimulus. If you're at the bottom, you know, they choose the wrong one. One, they're not going to get the takedown. They're going to be at a disadvantaged position, but you're not going to give them the takedown because they chose the wrong response right yeah. and you can just expand that game let's say now we're down the road we have a slide by we have a shuck we have a go behind we have a double off the front headlock um that's just kind of a convenient example right now you have those four you know top athlete you're choosing the response bottom athlete you're choosing stimulus and then you can get it into like a playing situation where it's like it's not as limited as give this stimulus to this response it's all right just go about 60, 70%, see what's open, find what's there, you know, and the bottom guy's giving you, you know, 80% resistance, right? And you're going back and forth. Um, and then we can transition into our live goes, whether it's a positional start or whether our emphasis is that. Um, one big thing too, I like waiting 
um, and giving more value towards the technique of the day. I think that's an immensely valuable thing because I think we've done a podcast still on uh, training climate, whether you're just trying to win every drill or you're trying to genuinely get better. Um, if we're starting on our feet, say, all right, if you get to the headlock and do any finish that we practice today, that's worth four points, not two, right? Yep. Any other takedowns worth two points. So giving an extra incentive to practice the move and, and be open to mastering the technique rather than just win the go. Oh, dude, I, I buy people, I buy kids or fucking adults. It doesn't matter. I buy people Gatorades. If you yeah. the technique, people don't even know why I'm doing it. I just grab them Gatorades and shit. Or I like, uh, one time I took a, one of the fighters out to lunch and purely when he got there, I'm like, yeah, it's because you did the technique. Like, I want you to feel appreciated because you did what I fucking like. I just spent yeah. an entire hour, you sh- hour showing you this technique and you're the only one to actually implement it in live wrestling. Right. So I appreciate you. You get lunch. Yeah. Like, it's one of those things like uh, back to what you were saying, that ramping, like uh, something we do at, at Fight Ready. And then a- Angel is one of Angel's things is he talks about like both men are working one person's finishing yeah, and that's an extremely absolutely. important concept where that you were talking about like you need to give people different looks once we get past the beginning phase that Alex was talking about breaking everything up into parts right so teaching the step by step and something on, in that phase something I love to do is I show the whole technique first yeah. I show them what the end goal looks like and then from there they have an idea and then we can break it down into parts but if I don't show them the end goal for whatever reason I don't know why this isn't science or anything just my experience they don't buy in as much. But well, I think that's anything within like a psychological front. It's like, you know, do this thing and I'm not going to tell you a reward or do this thing and I'm not going to, yeah. you know, give you any type of closure for it. It's like, just follow my command. And I get, like you said, it creates more buy-in when you're like, do this thing and you'll get a takedown and this is how, and this is why I'm giving you this specific technical. Well, and it gives it's, them a goal. It gives them a goal to look forward to too, right? Yeah. Like it gives them, it gives them a framework or a picture of what it should feel and look like when they do it correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then I break it up into parts. And then once you break it up into parts, that's where we get into both men are working or both people are working. One person's finishing because there's all these different, it, like once you get to the higher levels of wrestling or jujitsu, whatever it may be, there's all of these different scenarios that could play out. Right. It's really shitty for the people like me that they operate off of flow charts in their heads. <laughs> Cause that's a right. lot of different pathways, Yeah, <laughs> but like there's all of these different options that you can have when you're doing just one, just trying to finish one specific shot, or just if somebody has your leg, one specific finish, right? Mm -hmm. So from there, that's where it's so important that both people are working because how you respond to me taking a single leg on you is going to be different than how I respond when you take a single leg on me. I'm going to sit the corner, I'm going to hit a high crotch, all these different things. And you're probably just going to, like you said before the podcast, you're talking about somebody at a single leg on you. You just stomped your leg down and put them in a front headlock. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm crushing them into the ground, <laughs> but that speaks to your point. Like both people are working. Like when you're in this drill, like the drill is not exclusively for the top guy that that's finishing the front locker for the top guy that's getting the takedown. Like the bottom guy learns what not, what not to do. And he learns what's coming if he does choose that response. Right. Yeah, so exactly. If, if I choose on the bottom that I'm going to try, you know, a, a knee slide to get to a takedown, then I have to be aware that maybe a guillotine's coming or maybe a, a shucks coming or something like that. So you learn on the bottom too. It's like, it's a mental rep per se. Um, but that leads to more engagement. A hundred percent. And then taking that both people are working, it's going at like a 70 to 80% pace, right? Mm-hmm. That's where we want it to be at. If people are just trying to win, 
we know we've pushed them too hard. That's like a marker I can see in my head. If people aren't mm-hmm. actually trying the techniques that we tried, even in positional goes, that's when I stop practice. And I'm like, look, like we, we obviously aren't getting this. Let's regress and we go back to the specifics. Okay? Okay. But say they are getting it. Then we get to go into live wrestling. Then we get to do all these different or live rules, whatever it may be. If it's jujitsu, this even applies to striking, right? Striking is even more important because you need to have those steps down. Like when I watch Eddie Cha, our striking coach, do his classes, he's the guy that he has this down to a science where it's a step by step by step by step. And then it leads into the whole thing. If you don't have one step down, bro, you're getting tagged. And, and Eddie's not afraid to tell you that. Yeah. And, and consequences like <laughs> in wrestling, like you might lose a position, you might go to your back, blah, blah, blah. Like jujitsu, you might, you know, you might get caught in a sub or getting threatened by a sub or whatever. Like striking is a whole different consequence. Yeah. Man. You're getting popped. Bro, you're getting, exactly. You're getting clipped. So like yeah. that's it's even, this concept is even more important in our striking classes as opposed to our grappling classes, mm-hmm. because you need to be able to do all of the different frameworks well. If you have one of your things, a rebar that's got a dent in it, man, you're fucked. You're probably getting clipped at some point in your career. So, but bringing it back to live wrestling, right? Or live goes, then we can get into the live goes. Then we can incentivize all these different things. Like Alex was saying, Mm -hmm. we can incentivize the technique of the day. We can incentivize uh, different positions, starting them in different positions, whatever it may be. And then finally, for my personal preferences, I always, at the end of every practice that I run, I sit everybody down, we do a full circle thing, whatever they stretch, whatever they want to do. I ask every single person individually, do you have any questions on what, what we went over? And we, I ask them as a group. And then I ask them all individually when I shake their hands and we're done. I'm like, does anybody have any questions? Is there anything we can talk about? Comments, concerns, questions, all these different things, because people aren't sometimes aren't very willing to ask questions in the middle of practice because they don't want to interrupt the flow. That was me. That was me as an athlete. I hated interrupting the flow because I felt like a burden on the, the coach. Yep. But if I ask them one-on-one, there, there's a few guys on our team that take me up on it. They immediately are like, yeah, I did have a question actually. And they pull me aside and we focus on it one-on-one. And that's how they, like, that's from my personal experience. They go from not using that technique and that live go to next week when I remind them, which is another thing I want to get to reminding people about the technique you just showed, not just doing it once and then completely forgetting about it. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, when, when I bring that back up and say, Hey, we do this technique. That's when they start implementing it is when I spend the one-on-one time where they get to ask the questions about the technique. Cause that's what allows them to click in their brain. Because maybe I said something during the class that didn't make sense, but whatever cue I used when I'm direct or speaking directly to them, whatever analogy I decided to use for that specific person clicks really well. And then all I got to do is yell that during their live go and boom, their hips are in. Yep. hundred percent. I think like you said, asking after practice and, and recapping is a huge step in, in the learning process to kind of cement that in. Um, one other thing that I, I've shifted to doing too is like, is not just asking if a person has questions or if they want to work on a specific position. Cause like you said, like people are more willing at that point, but some people still aren't willing to, you know, ask a question or like openly seek the the advice as like one thing that I, you can do or that coaches can do is like, ask like, what did you learn today? What was the best thing that happened during your live roles? Like, cause that's going to stimulate a thought. And then next practice when I come, I know I'm going to be asked, what did I learn today? So I'm, I'm kind of more engaged in the practice and like 
what is the actual lesson of this day? Because even though we're doing the, this front hand lock, headlock position, or even though we're practicing this technique, maybe my key takeaway is that I'm not putting enough pressure on my opponent, right? And they're just able to flow and do what they want. Or, or maybe my lesson of the day is I'm getting too deep and I'm reaching for things or I'm, I'm getting very single-mindedly on that one finish, right? Which those type of thoughts are, are another thing that fosters growth and, and brings a new, a new type of thought into the system rather than just go right. Rather than win rather than whatever. Um, and so I really like that. Um, the next thing that I kind of wanted to progress to, and then I think we, we ought to do a summary because I think we've spent a lot of time in the minutia of one practice, but the separation of here's this formula, go after and get it against opponent versus the give and take. Here's what your opponent is doing. Here's what you can get off of them. I think that's a lot of the separation between, um, a master and somebody who's still in training, right? If I know that I have a phenomenal arm bar, you know, I'm, I'm always looking for the arm bar, but if I get single-mindedly on that arm bar, then I'm limiting myself as to what a different guy's going to get me because one, anyone good is going to know an arm bar is coming, especially if you're rolling with them in practice Two, while I'm single-mindedly on that arm bar, maybe a triangle pops up and I miss it because I'm thinking about an arm bar, right? Yep. So the more we can get to the, like the, the state where we're mixing and matching different setups with different finishes. We're mixing and matching different baiting techniques, different setups and um, entries. That's where the true mastery of the sport. And that's, that's where the quote unquote art comes from is when we get to a position where not only can we combine a lot of different setups with a lot of different finishes with a lot of different intermediate steps, but then we can do it on the flow and on the go. Mm -hmm. And that's all readily available. You were talking to me earlier. I was in a judicial class and a guy wanted to attack a single leg on me, right? I knew my steps on my defenses, but then when he kept charging, like it was like, is an automatic response. All right. I'm not stopping my foot. It's not getting to the ground. He's charging me. I can hit a lat drop. Right. Mm -hmm. I didn't think about, I need to dig an underhook. I need to find the right leverage. I need to go. It's like, all right, if he's going to push this hard, let drop. Here we go. Right. So when you become autonomous like that and you can just mix and go um, option to option to response to response, that's when mastery comes in into the game. Well, that's where like that's where I feel like I have I typically had a leg up on my opponents because of the flow charts in my head. Like yeah. if if I work with anybody like I, I think I've joked on the podcast before, but it's a legit thing. I can close my eyes with the leg in on top and I'm going to put you on your back. And yes, Alex, mm -hmm. I'm speaking to you. I'm looking at you. <laughs> but I I can have one leg in on top and I am going to put you on your back unless you're the top zero zero one percent in the entire world on bottom. And it's because I have a answer for every single thing that's going on because I've spent so much time in so many different situations with so many different partners, which I think is a key point, different partners and different responses on that different thing. And that's mm -hmm. where my coaches, that's, I will give fucking Ross Needham all of the praise in the entire world because he made me that monster on with a leg in because mm -hmm. he's the one that gave me all these different looks. He's the one that taught me to think about things like that think about it in a flow chart scenario. And that's, that's something that I, I would like more coaches to do because I've, he's the only one that I ever ran into that kind of did it like that, where it was a flow chart approach. Yeah. But he, he was the one he's like, if they do this, you got to do this. If they do this, you got to do this. And then he's like, and what helped me a lot is I wrote it down. So I literally, like, if you look at my iPad right now, I'm, I'm trying to learn a striking system so that I can better help our guys with our grappling system at fight ready. And I have literal flow charts based around Eddie's striking system and how it correlates into grappling. Like if I run an X series, we're going to do this. If we're running an uh, S step or a Superman step, we're going to do this, 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 and this. And there's all these different scenarios. Mm -hmm. And if you as an athlete can think like that, that makes you autonomous. 
that means I don't need to plug you in to my controller and, and push the buttons as the coach. So people say, yeah. cause that's not what you should, that's not what you should want as an athlete. You should want to be able to, when you're in a scenario, you know that you don't have to rely on anybody else but you. And a lot of that comes from programming our practices, bringing it back to full circle in a way that's going to foster that growth, in a way that's going to foster our athletes to think like that. And that's why we break it down into all of the parts and all the different scenarios over a prolonged period of time and not one practice. Yeah. And, and exactly like you're saying, there's variability within that approach too, right? You're getting different mm -hmm. doses, different responses, different situations where you have to learn and adapt to overcome to each of them. Um, there's a, there's a pedagogical like hypothesis called the forgetting hypothesis. All right. We're going to practice this one, let's say this one um, way to get a leg in this one method to put your leg in. Right. And we're going to, mm -hmm. we're going to do this technique for the next 10 minutes. Right. And you and your partners can go back and forth, get the leg in like this, get the leg in like that. Like this. it takes maybe three reps and then you're just on <laughs> autopilot. Right. It's like, yeah, I know this yeah. step and my partner's going to give me this throw in blah, blah, blah. All right. He's going blah, blah, blah. Like, you just go on autopilot and you're at that point, you've, you've ceased to get better. You're no longer yep. critically thinking. You're no longer trying to get the leg in versus if we get a variability in there, then it's a new rep every time, you know, like if your partner does this, this is how you're going to put the leg in. If you're going to do this, then this is the response to put the leg in. Like then we go knee on spine, blah, blah, blah. Right. And, and I I've actively, I've really actively tried to implement that into strength and conditioning because the, the strength and conditioning world is so heavy on the set rep implementation of everything and just the repetition and, and the, um, like the, the straightforwardness of it. It's like, all right, let's do this. Let's uh, first set. We're going to do a med ball throw like this second set. Um, if I clap, you're doing this. If I don't do anything, you'd execute it this way, blah, blah, blah. Like trying to create different ways that we keep an athlete engaged rather than, all right, four sets of five on the back squat, perform the back squat, um, how you always have, right? Regardless, if there's a, a fault and a cue, I can make the cue, but then next set, your athlete's probably going to default to what they're doing, what they've been doing for their whole thing, mm -hmm. regardless of the cue or not. So like, maybe we're going to focus on the squat, but then next set, we can bring it into a, a goblet squat or next set. We can do the back spot, but I'm going to change the tempo every time or next time we're going to do the back squat, but, um, the reps are changed, right? It's just that forgetting we can avoid that autopilot type of mentality by introducing variability and different stimulus responses. Yeah, for sure, dude. And then one last thing before we hit our summary, because okay. I want to talk about a point. That summary what? we've been putting off. <laughs> well, no, it's just something that like when I bring up practice scheduling to different coaches, it's, yeah. it's one of those things like where a college setting is a lot different than a private setting, right? When you have recreational members paying money, they feel a need to make every practice quote unquote fun. Like they, they want to, they want to, that's why they do the flow roll to start. That's why they do it 45 minutes alive at the end. They want it to be a fun experience, but I would, something that I want to get off my chest is I would argue that as a coach, you should make the, you should make the culture that you want based around your class. If you want your class to be the fun class, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that, but you need to make all of your athletes know that on the front end, they need to know that, Hey, this is going to be the fun class. This is where you just get to do live roles, whatever it may be. And you should have a separate technical class for the athletes that want to get better because contrary to popular belief, just live roll when you're a white belt, live rolling for an hour and a half per class is not going to build you up in a way right. that you should build up. 
right? That's where we talked about making the framework. Yeah, exactly. So something I just wanted to get out there is like, you really need to focus on what culture do you want to have as a coach? Do you want to be that fun class? That's hundred percent fine, but make people aware of that. Do you want to be the person that wants to build up people's techniques? You want to make them technically proficient? Also different, hundred percent fine, but you got to make people aware of that. Set that expectation on the front end and you have to be okay with people not necessarily always coming back. Like when I was teaching kids wrestling, something that frustrated me until I finally was comfortable with this is like, hey, like kids are dropping like flies, but I have five or six consistent kids and those just kept growing one by one by one until I got to around nine. And then I, life got crazy and I wasn't able to coach wrestling, kids wrestling um, and just adult wrestling. But like, it was one of those things like at one point I had 20 kids in my wrestling class. But then we just did technique the entire time. And the next day it went down from, I think it was actually 22 kids were in there. It went from 22, the next practice, it was five. And it was because it wasn't a fun class. And it frustrated me. I'm like, what did I do wrong? Well, the only fault in my mind is that I, A, didn't tell the kids and the parents the expectations that I was trying to make for the class. And B, I didn't realize that there's a difference between trying to be the fun coach and trying to be the technical coach. Mm -hmm. And because while you can have both, once you get to the upper levels, when you're teaching beginners, when you're teaching the foundational classes and stuff like that, you got to pick and choose which way you want to go. Yeah. And I think there can be a healthy mix of that too, but it's like you as a coach create value behind what you spend time on, what you specify, but you create that value, right? And it's almost like you have to actively do that job, right? You have Mm -hmm. to actively explain the value of your approach to um, to your students, to your athletes, like within that, that youth wrestling program, like you maybe only had five guys come back, but those five or six consistent guys, you're going to have five or six monsters, right? Fuck yeah, dude. Guy, they were guys killers. That, yeah. The guys that know the techniques now and, and are going to have success. And it's like, that's great. And like you said, you need to have some of that fun atmosphere and stuff, but yeah, explaining the expectations, like is the, one of the biggest, I think holes in a lot of coaches games, um, as far as telling your athletes, what you expect out of this drill, because if they don't explain what I expect, then the athletes are going to take it on themselves to prescribe meaning. And for most type a ambitious athletes, the expectation is I need to do this perfectly. Like that was me. Every drill, when a coach didn't say, this is my expectation, let's just grow by doing this or whatever. My expectation myself is like, I'm going to master this technique in this next five minutes and I'm going to perform it perfect. Right. Because that's how I need to be. That's the, the, the doggy dog world that is wrestling. Right. Yep. But if I'm, I'm as a coach and we're talking about live roles at the end of practice and I say, my expectation is not that you win every go. My expectation is that you try new things. You go after the technique of the day and that you get better. Not that you win. Right. If I lay that out to my athletes, then there's no losing. Right. Then there's no pressure mm-hmm. to perform. And, you know, unless the athlete's putting that up on themselves, but it, I can create value in learning and the mastery or in an atmosphere rather than create value in the winning at all costs type of atmosphere. Yeah. No. And that's, and that is the perfect way to segue into our summary because yeah. that's perfect. We, we want to make a, we don't want them ever make a winning at all costs environment because yeah. that's what breeds it, not imperfection, but that's what breeds bad habits. Mm-hmm. Breeds limitation breeds, you know, uh, paralysis by analysis breeds anxiety. Like the, the focus is on the process and getting better. And I think the process for the athlete is going to be a lot better. If our process as coaches is better, right. Our, mm-hmm. our way and our methodology and attacking practice. So, you know, long story short in this practice planning and this, uh, I forget the other words that you said along with it, practice planning, skill development, development. 
yep, there you go. Motor development, skill development type of idea is create an in-house system or a level of uh, progression for your athletes. Don't leave it to them to get better. Um, because like we said, we need to tailor our approach and, and create the building blocks to give your athlete the autonomy to help them have the tools in their toolbox, but then also teach them that it's their toolbox. It's not, this is the one tool and it's not that you're using my toolbox or whatever I say as your toolbox. I'm adding different pieces and different tools so that you can use them at your own type of creativity on your own leisure, uh, leisure at your own, you know, um, sighting it when you see an opening, like, uh, I think right now, uh, sugar Sean O'Malley that just fought last weekend or a long weekend back by the time we air this, like his skill set is purely his own, right? He's got his own style and it really w- works well for him. But if he had a coach that told him that's not how you throw the kick, this is how you throw the kick, right? And then he starts throwing his coach's kick that might limit him in a sense. So give the athletes the autonomy. And I think this is a better way to give the autonomy than just say, all right, flow roll, figure it out. See ya. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And actually Joe Rogan highlighted that in the fight yesterday. He's sure. like, it's, he's like, I, I, we always try to compare fighters to different fighters, mm-hmm. but Sean O'Malley is his own breed. He's, mm-hmm. he is this, there's no other Sean O'Malley. There's nobody could to train like him. I'm mm-hmm. like, I agree, Joe. I agree. <laughs> you big <Right>. bald fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But, um, but I think that's important as well as, is, is understanding who you have in front of you and then giving them that, that framework to, to um, the framework as in the parts and pieces to figure it out. You know, I'm a fan of letting athletes be athletes, but not to the extent that we l- tell a white belt that rolling, you know, training hard for an hour and a half live is going to be the best thing for your development. The best thing that happens out of that is when he stops, talks to the blue belt and say, Hey, what'd you just hit me with? Right. That's going to be the best development that he can not the go hard and win the, the, the drill atmosphere. Yeah. No, hundred percent, dude. What else you got? I think that crushed it. Killed it. A, yeah. We talked a lot. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. So this is building a fighter, uh, like share, subscribe, do all the cool stuff that lets us become friends with your friends. And talk to them all the time. Uh, the other thing is, please rate our podcast or uh, um, what's it called? Yeah, rate. Is that the right word? Leave a comment. I don't know. Yeah, leave a comment. Star that shit on Apple Podcast. There you go. Yeah. Subscribe. Uh, like, share, and subscribe yeah. to my YouTube channel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if, if the more ratings you have, the higher SEO is. So the more people will be able to see Building a Fighter when they're looking for MMA-based podcasts. So please do that if you haven't done that on Apple Podcasts. Um, and then, as always, this is Building a Fighter. I'm Dr. Austin Chain. Alex Friedman. And we are out. <laughs> <laughs>